Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made, innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. Hey, I'm KC. And I'm Tyler. And you're listening to... The Element Podcast. The 200th episode on the podcast. Well, good day, everyone out there listening. Like we said, it's 200 episodes. I mean, I know that we've had some big buck breakdowns and some other stuff in there, the ilk stuff and all that. But as far as main show episodes, this is number 200. And it feels good. It feels real good for a couple reasons. One, uh, we're so far from deer hunting right now but that I need something to get me excited. And two, it's nice to have been doing this for a while. What, our first... Well, the first things we recorded were January 2017. <laughs> Y'all will never hear those. No, those um, that was the first uh, true episodes. Oh, were they? Yeah, we were doing episodes that were fake back in like October I or September we, oh. when you killed elk, 2016. Ooh, I thought we did some fake ones in the RV still, too. We didn't. Our first episode released at the beginning of January 2017. Whoa. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, yep. now you have it. Over... Over four years, or over three years, I guess. We're working on year four, is that how it works? No, we're working four on years. year five. Yeah. 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 Golly. Yeah. Thank you for sticking yeah. around, and thank you all who are new. Because and the first time the podcast has ever started with good day. That's right. I changed it up. <laughs> Paul Harvey over here. That's right. Good day. You hear the rest of the story after <laughs> after we get done talking to our guest today. Our guest is Bill Winky. Bill. Bill is the 200-inch deer killer, at least the one we know the best. He's killed <laughs> some big, big bucks, and uh, we wanted to get him on kind of as a special episode. He's a guy that we have a ton of respect for and is just such a professional and also such a good person uh, as far as I know, and I feel like I know Bill, Bill fairly well, at least as good as you can know someone from, you know, a thousand miles away or whatever. <laughs> you know, I've talked to him quite a bit. Uh, we... You know, he knows us. We know him kind of on a personal level more than just interviews. So yeah. it's, it's a, it is cool to get to talk to Bill. But uh, before that, we wanted to tell y'all thanks for for hanging out and sticking around for this this long, hopefully um, 
things just keep getting better and better from here. Mm. Things are looking pretty good. Looking uh, up, we've looking been looking up. a little bit of Onyx this morning already, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're really excited about some potential in some states, I should say. And uh, I think we'll just leave it. Just at gotta draw that. the tag is the only thing. I know that's the hardest part. Man. I know, man. It's yeah. tough draws. Which, by the way, uh, New Mexico draws are coming soon. I know. I'm getting Ooh. antsy. Somebody <laughs> said that the back door's open. I don't know if that's how it works. I think in New that's Mexico. a Colorado deal, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I didn't know New Mexico had a back door. I draw. think um, Arizona maybe too because it hits cards or something. But I don't think New Mexico works that way. Yeah, I don't know for sure because you've already paid your money in to New Mexico, right? Yeah, so you it can't be uh, you know you don't like hit, get that credit card hit or whatever like that. But I'm I'm antsy about that for sure. <laughs> Me too, dude. <laughs> the uh, the I'm hoping one of us draw because we got we got you and I and cameraman or two in there and. We got some chances. We do. We don't know what those chances are. <laughs> Tyler and I had a 20-minute discussion about how probability works with percentages and stuff. Neither one of us knows No, still. we cannot figure it out. <laughs> we spent so much time doing math this, this spring, and really the what it boils down to is you just have to apply well, and that's see what it. happens. That's it. And the first thing, I mean, I'm, I'm not good at uh, equational math, really, either. You know, like algebraic and all that. I'm... More into the mosaic and <laughs> <laughs> that kind of the fig mosaic virus is the one you're talking about. <laughs> no, <laughs> I the, know that one real well. <laughs> do you, yeah, are you having that issue? Yeah, no, it's not really an issue. Most fig trees have it, oh. uh, or a, a lot do. I shouldn't say most, but with a uh, good fertilizer and um, you know good sunlight, it kind of goes away. Yeah, but y'all don't care. That's a different podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I t- uh, somebody sent us a message recently about tomatoes and how they're going to start because we talked about them so much. They're going to start trying to plant tomatoes. That's what I'm talking about, dude. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Just spreading the joy. Influencers. That's right. <laughs> Maybe that's, not good though. That's right. That's right. You're going to spend more time being frustrated. It's like fly fishing in a small creek. Yeah. You well, know? at least we're. Um, Giving people something to do when it's not hunting season. Yeah. You know, we could be encouraging people to grow like Christmas Turnips. trees or something. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, let's yeah. give you something real busy to do during uh, hunting season. Yeah. Pumpkins. Yeah. Here, grow you a pumpkin patch and see how many people want to take pictures in October. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Um, so you wanted to discuss. Um, <laughs> no, you wanted to discuss. I, no, I, you said we should. T- we should. I said we should talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. yeah so you um, said you told me, but we don't have to. We don't no, have to it's, if you don't I want think to. it's a good idea. To talk I'm just. About. I'm just. I was confused. Argue. We're not going to no, no, argue. No. Yeah. I was confused at where this came from, and I still am. Apparently, some of our listeners are more clued into <laughs> us than than I am. I, I guess. don't know. Well, there was. I saw a post on one of the local public land forums around here about guys pretty much implying they I don't think they realized it and one of the guys I had a good discussion with and we you know it was one of the on rare the forum yeah one of the How rare thing when it's not actually from Facebook group okay yeah okay. so you know yeah, so, so you, <laughs> yeah. Still, can't use though. hate speech oh by the way did you know you can't say the word ho as in garden ho on Facebook now you will be uh in Facebook jail for a week are you kidding I'm me? not kidding no way, Yes, dude. so everybody's been having to do H period, O period, E period whenever they're talking about caring for their gardens on Facebook. Hmm. How about that? What about H-O? Uh, Santa Claus is going to have a hard time. <laughs> but, uh, and Jay-Z, too. Back to it. H uh, to the Izzo. I'm glad you know all the ways. <laughs> uh, but um, anyways, uh, there was a post that the, the way it was worded, these guys... Um, at least worded this thing to where that 
they believed that the only reason we have wildlife is because the government tells us what to do when it comes to wildlife management. And and you had a bit of a libertarian outburst. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. I'm not a full I'm not a real libertarian. This is kind of the joke, right? Yeah. I'm not a real libertarian because I don't believe in open borders, but uh, you know, in general, I feel like the government has no place in my business or what I do. Um, so, uh, and it's not to say that if you're a government employee that I hate you or anything. It's just, you know, I, I feel as if the government didn't, st- didn't steal half of our money, that we could do a better job ourselves of policing and enforcing things that we consider important. I'm not going to call them laws because then you're talking about government. But <laughs> <laughs> in general, my question was, that um, should we, or I'm sorry, is it essential that we have uh, law enforcement in relation to wildlife? And I would say overwhelmingly the answers were yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. It started out fifty fifty, and then apparently all the libertarians got off of uh, <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> uh, but um, it ended up I think eighty three seventeen or something like that. Yes to no as far as percentages go. A lot of people interacted in that. And uh, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. And I feel like um, I like most of the game wardens that I've come into contact with. And if I give them more time, uh, I usually like them even more. I see. I feel like it was interesting to me that you (laughs) were like, I disagree because you had a real libertarian game warden experience this spring. I've had all kinds of we've talked about it on the podcast, right? Some guy wrote wrote you a warning that's now on your permanent record. The it was uh, during teal season. Yeah. 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 But for hunting wood ducks during teal season. Hunting wood ducks during teal season. <laughs> Tyler, you're such a bad person. I, I can't am. believe you would do that. Um, we've already talked about that, so I don't have to tell that story yeah. again. But, so do you uh, still feel the same way? It, it, so to take it back, just to give you some some clarity for people, for you, you were not hunting wood ducks in no. teal season. No. no. Would never do that. No. Wasn't no. even shooting at him. Sorry if y'all hear my son. He's in the other room playing. <laughs> He's also uh, a guest on the podcast. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But do I feel the same, still feel the same way of what? Uh, do, you, I, do you still feel like you felt the other day about, because I know for me, if I like see a news article uh-huh. and I ac- accidentally read it, yeah, it can really fire me up sometimes. Yeah. So like, and then I'll like, you know, not that I'll change my stance or anything, but like there'll be days when I'm more impassioned about things because sure. of. I was telling this, uh, we kind of <laughs> been talking to the guys at Unguided a little bit and, um. I was telling them, yeah, about once a month, I get real fired up politically, <laughs> and then the rest of the time, I'm a lot happier. So that was my day where I was real fired up about this stuff. And I don't think my opinions have changed. Um, I never would tell a game warden that they need to go shove it, you know, or anything like that. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not really what I'm saying. Um, but I think I still, like, the opinions of other people doesn't really matter to me. But you're saying, like, after I've had some time to th- yeah, think things over just, a little bit further... I think because there were some responses on our story too. I didn't know if any of them made any good points that changed your mind or anything either. So, um, not really. No, yeah. not really. Because it's still, I think everyone that responded uh, yes, and thank you all because this is a discussion. This is not me telling you you wrong and I'm right. They still, in my opinion, appeal to a higher form of government, and I don't think that's necessary. I only answer to one, and that's our, cr- our creator, right? Mm-hmm. That's God. So. Um, I don't think by any means that the feds, meaning the federal government, know what I need to do on the backside of my property 
to make sure the deer herd stays okay, mm. right? And I feel like we're all trying. It's just like I have a a friend who leans left politically in general, and uh, that's a whole another deal. Like it's becoming kinda, less it's a, of a friend every day. Well, <laughs> it's kind of weird because no. it's it's and it's one of those things where like I know her as a person, and I know she's a good person mm. as far as like. Um, I enjoy interacting with her, you know, but um, good's a weird word too, but yeah. this is not a theology podcast. Playing in, so. playing in music, I have some of those too. You yeah. know, people that I really enjoyed hanging out with and they're friends, but they do think about things a little different yeah. than me. And so, but, so, but that's helpful because you realize that like not everyone who believes differently than you is just a, you know, Medusa looking nasty. Because <laughs> yeah, they lives on under TV. a bridge type person, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah TV's the news is always gonna make him out to be terrible. Yeah. Um I don't even remember where I was going with this, but pretty much um the disagreement is that uh I feel like us on a local level could do a better job of policing our general area and not allowing people to get away with doing bad things. Like, for instance, um, I don't think that people should be going taking limits of crappie every day out of the lake if they have the opportunity to do that. It's not against the law, right? Mm -hmm. But um, say if uh, people go out and, you know, somebody catches 6,000 crappie a year out of the lake, you know, you got too many people doing that. It's not going to go well for the fishery. And instead of being like, well, you know, state of Texas, maybe we should do something about this or just waiting on them to step up and do it. I'm not saying this is happening, but this is just an example. Instead, could we not just, you know, form an alliance of sports men and women who operate around Lake Fork and just say, hey, um, we're not going to make you do this, but at the same time, it's probably not a good idea and make it, you know, an education type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. I think that if it's that informal, it would be hard to not just, A, it would be hard for people, especially I found, I feel like more and more people are not willing to say what they truly believe or feel because they might hack somebody off. That's a problem in America, dude. <clears throat> it like, is. like Americans have this mind your own business yeah. Like, well, it's either like one or the other because yeah. there's people that are, oh, I'll say whatever I want, you know, <laughs> whatever. Well, they say that, yeah. but when it comes down to saying what they want. Well, I mean, in saying something on Facebook versus in person is a much, much different, different thing, thing, you know, and yes. we found that, um, and we've talked about that on the podcast, but like, I think that that's kind of, that's the start of it, and then also the people that do say something, all of a sudden it's going to be, you know, uh, uh that guy's going to hate that guy for the rest of his life. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like this guide that's taking 6,000 fish a year is going to hate the, you know, hotel owner on the lake that said, mm. hey, I, well, I don't think that's a good idea, man. I'm not problem, trying to hack you off. but The problem is, is that, like, um, what's the, if I say the analogy, the first person to break the ice is going to lose their hatchet. Does that make sense? You mm. know what I mean? But um, the – situation is is that we need to get over that barrier and if it became more commonplace to correct your fellow man and show them a higher moral standard and appeal to god or or you know whatever we deem necessary you Mm. do deem you know you know where i stand um then it would be less of the I hate you because you told me I was, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing something bad. Yeah. No, it's I mean, the the concept is good. It's just 
I think that what you struggle with is what we see in Romans 3, where it's like, people are not good generally. Yeah. You know, like it's a good thing to think about. Like people are good generally, but it's not. That's I mean, a weird concept too, because um, you think of the concept of being created in God's image, but then, you know, sin enters the world and kind of messes that up. So it's like, when I say that, and I think this is probably what you wanted to talk about really was that I said, I think that um, there's good in everybody or something to that mm-hmm. extent. Maybe I should say the potential for good, yeah, as opposed to good. Mm-hmm. That's probably that's probably something I should have corrected in that because everyone has the potential for good because we're created beings, mm-hmm. but not everybody takes that path. Yeah. So, I mean, as a sinner, it says you know, n- no, not one is good. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, without without uh, that belief, that faith um, that we're talking about in in for us and Jesus, like, and this is just, this is getting deep guys, but this is what we believe. I mean, that, um, that it is pretty much impossible to do anything that's truly good. And I think you can be like, well, how can you say it, Tyler? Like there's people out there, uh, giving millions of dollars to charity. Well, you know about them. They did it because it's self glorification. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you got to think about what are the true, what are the true, uh, you know, influences behind that and, and why are they doing these things? So I don't know. I, I just think that like, it's a tough thing to, to have, ha- uh, have, uh, in place, I guess, because like you can, I mean, if you, you and I have talked about this before, but like the, um, there's a particular, uh, media company that's in the outdoor space that I'm not going to name because they've had too much press lately, um, that loves to tell the poaching story. Right. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of people out there and I, I'll tell you this, man, like I, I've grown up with some guys that love to hunt and fish and that do it right most of the time, but sometimes they don't, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, but I'm not, and then this is not me throwing mud on you, but at, by any means, but did you, did you report them or correct them? Not if they were my friends. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I've, I've done the same thing. Yeah. Like, I know guys who've thrown ducks in the ditch. I know guys yeah. who've corn pools. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what I'm saying is, like, it just doesn't work to me. But maybe it should. It should. Yeah. But it, it's not. And as you know, the world is not getting any better. That's true. <laughs> hey, guys, Stone has joined the podcast, by the way. Uh, I had to go pick him up because he's whining. But um, He likes when we talk. At he the same time, if the world's not getting any better, why would you entrust... Uh, things that you value into some other, um, you know, government entity, corrupt, um, you know, entity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, like I would rather. I just don't know what's better. Like, huh? I just don't know what's better. I, I 100% agree. I just don't know what's, what is a better option than to, you know, have somebody who actually has the enfor- authority of enforcement to, I mean, I think you're, uh, another point that you probably have that I think is good is that the biologists, they they are pretty unbiased a lot of time, uh-huh. but they give that information to our legislators yeah. who do whatever they want, obviously. Yeah. You know, like if you have re- seen the news lately, mm-hmm. anybody in, you know, our, of our legislators, just they do whatever they want, whether it's drugs or, uh, you know, uh, putting po- money in their pockets or whatever it is, like they do whatever. So, like... You're tr- you're entrusting this information with people who are pretty corrupt overall. Doesn't matter which side, I think. 
and now they've got to they've got to do kind of whatever they want and you know make it seem like it's for the better the greater good right so yeah exactly and, and that's that's tough but i just don't know what is a better option because i feel like if we do the whole vigilante thing that it's uh you know what only that may be the wrong wrong way to say that but yeah. uh what, is, what what am I thinking here? Is vigilante like a person that uh, takes the law in their own hands? Yes, yeah, vigilante yeah. thing. So, like, so the only thing it's all relative. So the only reason <coughs> someone's a vigilante is because there's a different entity saying that they're a vigilante. But it, do you think anyone outside of someone trying to look cool calls himself a vigilante, or do they say, "No, my way's what's actually right"? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Are you saying vigilante has a negative context? Uh, I think that. Um, Usually, the one entity calling the others vigilantes don't like the vigilantes. Yeah, I'm yeah, sh- yeah. I, I think you're right. I'm just using it as in the context of, for lack of a better term, for a person who is a civilian, self governing, self governing civilian. So yeah, man, I, I'm with you. I don't know what the right answer is, but to me, I feel like there is a level. Here's my struggle with it, I think, is that people like to um, not have to be responsible for things. And I think that whenever you appeal to a higher power of government and just say, y'all take care of this, it's deflecting responsibility off of the individual. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, there's, it's so complicated, man. We should probably try to have like a bigger conversation about this with a couple other people as well sometime, you know? Mm -hmm. I can think of some smart people that we know that are either friends or... Uh, or they're just smart people that we don't know that well that uh, probably would make a good conversation about this, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, so, but we'll I like it. I mean, it's definitely something worth discussing, I think, yeah. too, you know? Yeah, for sure. And if nothing else, if you've ever been on a Game & Fish website, you know that them people don't need to be running nothing. <laughs> yeah. At least their web designers don't because they're real hard to navigate. They're like, oh, yeah, we should get on the Internet, even though it's 2021. <laughs> Speaking of the Internet, Bill Winky has got an awesome Instagram page these days. He's using it for uh, some good purposes, at least when it comes to deer education and uh you know showing off some big old bucks of course so uh if y'all think it's a good time and tyler thinks a good time i know stone thinks it's a good time he does he's just a little baby (laughs) (laughs) let's get bill on the show all right now on the phone we have got bill winky outdoor rider and founder of midwest whitetail bill how are you this morning I'm good, good. How are you guys? Uh, doing well. I'm drinking coffee. Tyler's drinking some fruity caffeine drink. I'm not sure what it is. But <laughs> I've, got, I've got a coffee in my hand, too. So we're, good. we're all doing the same thing That's this morning. Right. As, uh, as the podcast progresses, it'll get more and more lively. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, we take yeah. a lot of trips and do a lot of different things. And, and you know, quite honestly, coffee's kind of hard to come by. So I've kind of gotten into the little squirty drinks a little bit, you know, with the caffeine drinks and stuff. You ever? Uh, experiment that way you're always just a traditional black coffee guy yeah i'm a black coffee guy i can usually find a gas station somewhere worst case scenario and <laughs> pop in there and get 24 ounces or Ooh, however whatever, whatever the biggest one is <laughs> yeah well that's what happens when you have casey's everywhere yeah, in your right. country you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah the midwest is full of casey's and they're open they, they'll serve you coffee 24 hours a day. That's right. And the baddest breakfast pizza you've ever had, man. I love that pizza. <laughs> yeah, it's good yeah. stuff, man. Hey, that's the funny thing about that's Iowa right. that we notice is that uh, 
it's just full of tiny towns. I guess it's because it's kind of mile by mile stuff, you know. So there's just a lot of little yeah. towns everywhere. You can always pass a, mm-hmm. a coffee station anytime you are headed out anywhere to go hunt. So not yeah, a bad place yep. to be because of the coffee and the deer, of course, right? <laughs> well, we got two things. Then. That's right. <laughs> coffee and deer. Yep. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. So um, we said founder of Midwest Whitetail. What's going on with Midwest Whitetail these days? Well, uh, I actually stepped away with the last summer, last spring. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'd been operating that for 15 years and it got to be where, uh, you know, at first you have a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of energy and adrenaline and your vision is there and you're excited about it. And then as time goes on, you start getting wore down more and more. And, uh, that type of a business requires, uh, a lot of time and a lot of hands-on, you know, because every video, you know, has to be kind of scrubbed and make sure it's in good, you know, standing looks good, edited well. We were producing so much stuff that, uh, you know, just trying to find platforms to play everything on, keeping all the sponsors happy, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, of course, the hunting, you know, with the camera uh, over your shoulder all the time and doing the off season. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that there was, you know, 80 plus hours a week of work in there. And, you know, after doing that for, I think I hit about year 12 and, uh, I just felt like, you know, maybe I wasn't the best man for the job anymore. I was starting to get burned out. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a big advocate personally of social media just because I didn't want one more thing that I had to worry about and manage. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's going to hurt the business too. You know, you, you need people who are, um, let's say, full of the the adrenaline and the excitement um, and, and not wore down. So I felt like at a certain point I was actually hurting the company that my vision maybe wasn't as good as it should have been uh, just because I would look at it and say, well, that's a great idea, but that's going to be a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> So that, that's not usually the best way to run a, a, a prosperous business. So little by little, I started edging my way out and uh, leave it into the hands of younger people who, you know, are on their upswing, you know, I'm certainly not, you know, going to retire. Um, it just was taking too much out of me just, you know, to, to you know, keep it moving the way that it needed to move. Yeah. Uh, it was time for somebody else. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a classic burnout um, scenario. <laughs> kind of like the parking you know? lot of the Casey's right? on a Friday yeah. night. It's classic yeah. burnout. Oh, man. Bill, classic I drew burnout. That was me. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't burned out on drugs. I was burned out on, deer hunting and and uh producing deer hunting videos <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's worse things to be burned out on than that that's right <laughs> yeah for sure i uh you know i i slept in a casey's parking lot in 2019 and <laughs> i can tell you they are burning out there <laughs> for sure yeah um oh yeah there's especially at about two three in the morning there's a different class of people that are alive at that time of day yeah they like there's like a there's like a downtime from about you know midnight to two and then all of a sudden it's just like oh my goodness something is i couldn't sleep at all you know between the trains the 18 wheelers the people you know restocking casey's and then all the the uh are they rednecks and there are rednecks down here in texas are they rednecks in iowa what do y'all call them i think I think they're everywhere. Uh, I don't think there's like a borderline, you know, like you cross the border and they stop. I think that they've, they've spread. Maybe they started there. I don't know, but they're certainly everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's kind of so like, it's kind of like, I think they call them, hey, I think they might even call them hayseeds up here or something, uh, you know, if you're not from the Midwest. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. yeah, yeah. Drifting you know, along to the wind. Rough, 
Tell Some of the rough farm kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. Tell the Keith wrote a song about that one time, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's also a song, Country Must Be Countrywide. Who sings that? I don't know. That's uh, oh, definitely yeah. that's what we're Bradley talking Gilbert, about. I think. Yeah. Played a show with that guy one time. That's what we're talking about right now, for sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, Bill, you said you're not a big fan of social media stuff, um, and that has kind of changed a little bit lately. You, you've, uh, I remember. The first time I saw the Winky Bill Instagram account, I was like, is this real? Because <laughs> it only has like 200 followers. Like, I don't know what's going on here. It is because I guess you've had that account for a while, but you've never, you hadn't been really active on it until what, uh, last fall or something? You kind of started posting on no, there? No, I mean, not until just a couple months ago. Okay. The, uh, yeah, our, well, one of our kids started it for me, and I think it hit. I think it got up to like 1300 followers with one or two pictures on there. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought, well, the, let me go back and just explain social media. I don't have any problem with, um, you know, interacting with people. I like people, mm-hmm. but everything that you do, every time you open up a new platform or, or, uh, you, know, you engage in a new, you know, especially, um, situation where you're going to interact with people, uh, that just takes time, mm-hmm. you know? So like, let's say, you know, YouTube has got the comment section, you know, midwestwhitetail.com had the ask winky section, <clears throat> you know, Facebook has, you know, all the comments, you know, you throw, you know, uh, multiple accounts in and you throw in Instagram and, um, then you get people emailing with questions. Uh, it got to the point where, you know, I would spend two to three hours a day, just interacting and answering questions. And, um, you know, for me to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to get excited about another social media account. Uh, I just didn't have time for it. And, you know, one thing I never wanted to do was to have people seeking me out and then me not, uh, being able to answer their questions. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when I was a kid, I sent a letter one time to one of the prominent bow hunters at the time, and I was real excited, you know, thinking I'm going to ask this guy some questions, you know, and I waited, you know, for a couple of weeks, three weeks, a month, you know, every day I'd think oh, I'm going to get my letter back, you know, and the guy never replied back to me. And granted, you know, I'm sure he's way busy, you know, but it made me mad. So to this day, I still am offended that, you know, that that guy never, you know, <laughs> spent the time to send me a, yeah. a, a reply. So I always figure if somebody's going to take the time to ask me a question, I need to take the time to try to answer it. Um, so you know, if you take that stuff seriously, it then pretty been, soon it just gets overwhelming. It could have been uh, the fact that, you know, you know quite a few people in the outdoor industry as well as I do. <laughs> that guy might not have been able to write. You know, that could have been one of the no. issues. No. <laughs> he, he could write. Okay, good. He, write. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just chose not to answer oh, my man. question, which yeah. you know is understandable. Yeah, you know, but as a kid, you're like, oh, I don't like this guy anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's where that's where we're at, man. It's like you know, there's there's other lots of other platforms out there, TikTok, Twitter, all this mm. stuff. You know, like. People, people all the time are like, y'all need to get on this, y'all need to get on that. And I'm like, man, just if you only knew how, how much time it takes to uh, open up another platform and manage that and keep posts going to it every day. And then when people comment on your posts, you know, responding and all this, it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of work. And I can only imagine yours is exponential of what ours would be for sure. Yeah, and it just, you know, the interaction part with all the different things just got to be overwhelming. So for me... Um, 
if I could just kind of ignore one or two, <laughs> uh, that just made my life a little, yeah. a little more sane. Uh, but now that I'm not, you know, hands on with Midwest Whitetail, I've got more time and, you know, I still feel like I want to help people, you know, so if people are making comments or questions, especially, um, you know, I want to be able to help them as much as I can. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's great, man. And I think that that's what you've, you know, been doing through this Instagram page that you have. Um, you, I, you kind of started, I guess, with some of your really earliest bow kills and just kind of worked your way through talking about <clears throat> each one of them. Was that just like, uh, I don't know, something you felt like doing? Did somebody kind of tell you, hey, you should do this, Bill? Or like, how did that start? No, I think, uh, I don't know why I decided to do that. I think I I needed something that was going to make me post consistently. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, the easiest thing for me, I don't want to run outside and take, you know, some goofy picture mm. of the sunset. It's you know, not fun. Say, oh, you know, it's another beautiful day, <laughs> yeah. you know. But, you know, at least this way, I could put something up every day for a while that maybe had a little meat to it where uh, people would get a kick out of it. And I thought, why not just do the series? You know, these are, I put up all my bow kills starting with my very first one. And uh, fortunately I've got pictures of all of them. And, uh, you know, I had converted some of them from photos to digital, you know, and so forth. So I had digital images of every single buck I'd ever killed with a, with a bow. So it was kind of fun to just run through them and list them, you know, starting with number one and uh, tell the date, the state, and then a little bit about, the, what the day was like and, and maybe a quick lesson of something that I learned, you know, during that hunt, you know, keep it down to just a, you know, 150, 200 words or whatever, you know, that it's kind of into those captions. Um, and it got me into the habit and it grew the account, um, you know, a, a fair bit. So that was my goal, you know, just kind of get it out there, show people that I'm still alive. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, we we know uh, <laughs> that you're still alive. Uh, I know that you said kind of the second part of your career, or whatever. And I was like, "Yep, I believe it." Because uh, not that you're an old guy by any means, but you're a little older than me, and I would not ask you to arm wrestle at any point in time. So uh, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> not, uh, not going to challenge you to that. But I would, uh, if you're cool with it, I'd like to maybe just run through some of that stuff and talk about some of the deer, maybe some of the stuff you've learned. Because I know that you've killed a bunch of deer and the best way to learn about deer is to be out with deer. And you've done a whole lot of that. So, uh, um, yeah. first I would like to probably, um, bring it down to our home state of Texas. I, I know that, uh, you know, uh, I guess early in your riding career, you, you traveled around and did a lot of different stuff in different States. And then as, as, uh, you know, you grew the farm there in, in Iowa, you, uh, kind of really centered in on that southern iowa deer hunting which for good reason there's been some giants that uh, has hit the ground uh due to your bow and arrow so uh but first um i think texas the date is january 17th 2020 uh you killed a big wide buck in texas uh can you tell us about that deer yeah the so i had you know through the course of of writing for magazines and going to all the trade shows and you know, getting out in the public, I'd met a lot of people. And, uh, one of the guys that I had met along the way was a guy named Jack Brittingham. And he's, he had at the time two really good, uh, high fence properties. One was in East Texas and one was in South Texas. That East Texas sure property is anymore. just south of where we live actually. Yeah. He's kind of uh, okay. locally famous for us growing up too. Yeah. So, um, Jack said, Hey, I, you know, I'm, come on down. I'll, I'll, you know, host you for a little bit of hunting on my properties. And I'd never hunted a high 
high-fence property before. So I was really curious what that was going to be like. And I knew that Jack had gone to quite a few um, maybe extra measures to assure that his properties were, I would say, at least met his standard for for the challenge of the hunt. Uh, he kept the populations reasonably low. He tried to use local genetics. Uh, at least they were southern deer. He didn't bring in any genetics from any northern deer on his properties. Uh, and I, I believe he might have you know, crossed over maybe into Mississippi or someplace. He'd picked up you know, some genetics in the south that he kind of worked into his herd little by little. But for the most part, you know, they were Texas deer. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was reasonably challenging, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I hunted with him for a couple of days on his home place. And then we, uh, went south to the one that he had further south and, and, uh, didn't shoot anything on his home place. Didn't really even have any opportunities. And then, uh, we were hunting the other one. It was more on a management tag situation. You know, he had, like I said, he tried to keep his population down. So he had a bunch of bucks on there that he wanted <clears throat> killed and I'm like yeah i mean i got quite a few arrows so you know <laughs> let's, let's let's go you know so he had he basically just were hunting over feeders and uh you know i shot two down there that was one of the two i think in two or three days i killed two so that was you know it was my introduction to uh to high fence hunting and you know the way that jack did it and and i felt you know like i i you know i, I don't have any if something's legal you know i'm not going to argue with it you know i, I don't know that every situation where it's high fence has the same feel to it as what, what Jack has created there. But, um, you know, it was just enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's, that's the story, you know, yeah. for a guy that had only hunted, you know, for the most part, um, you know, free ranging Midwestern deer, it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Did, were you able to really learn anything from, from that hunt that, you know, was kind of specific to maybe what you encountered with that deer? Hmm. No, I mean, I think that you just, you know, Jack knew with the deer, mm-hmm. you know, I was just, he just took me around and, and, uh, <clears throat> said, okay, today we're going to go over here. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sounds nice. yeah. my both sided in. So it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't really anything about that hunting that, uh, that I had a hand in. Yeah. It was really Jack's deal, you know? So it was more like maybe if you were on a guided hunt, you didn't really even know anything at all about the area or the deer and you just showed up and somebody took you out and said, you know, here's where you're going to sit. They're going to come out over there. Mm. Um, you know, the distance is going to be 37 yards, you know, <laughs> don't even need a range. Like, okay. <laughs> I'll just wait right here. Then. You know, so that, that was what that hunt was. And it was a lot of fun. You know, like I said, it's, you know, every, every hunting style has its own, um, uh, you know, enjoyment level. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, no, it wasn't, that had nothing to do with any of it at all, mm-hmm. uh, as far as like the strategy or the planning or which deer we were trying to kill or anything. I just was there with the bow in my hand. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, I mean, and you did learn, you know, about, uh, that high fence experience, which, um, you know, like you said, can be, um, a little more challenging than a lot of people perceive it to be, especially people from the Midwest or the upper Midwest. Um, we hear, you hear a lot in media of people kind of dogging on it and that kind of thing. And it's not necessarily my favorite way of, of doing it either, but I mean, they don't, some of these people don't understand how big these, how big Texas is, right? <laughs> Cause there <laughs> right. are a lot yeah. of places that are 10, 20, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 acres of high fence. I mean, those deer can go anywhere for miles, you know I mean? I can yeah. I can remember as a boy when we'd go down to the first deer I ever shot was down way down south near the border, 
and uh, it was on 100 acres of free range. And, you know, we're passing by uh, different ranches that are like the, the high fence goes for 30 miles, you know, like down the interstate or whatever. You're just driving right. 30 miles past the same high fence for the, this ranch, you know? So, I mean, yeah. it's kind of one of those things where you're, maybe you learned a little bit about that, you know, and, and how things are not always, uh, as some people perceive, I guess. Well, I think Texas is just different. You know, I think that, and I'd hunted Texas some with a rifle, uh, as well. And, and, uh, trying to think if I bow hunted any, uh, free range in Texas, I'm sure I must have somewhere along the way I did in, uh, yeah, I think over by San Angelo. Yeah. Um, a couple of different places, you know, in the hill country, I, I did, I did hunt with, a a bow without high fence. Um, but anyway, the, the thing about it is, uh, you, you know, it, it doesn't feel to the Texans, uh, any different than the way that we hunt in the Midwest feels to us. Mm-hmm, right. You know, it's, it's the way I think there are, there are opportunities to take advantage of the deer, you know, with a high fence, but I don't feel like that's the intent of most of the people who are doing it down there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just, I just feel like it's more about, you know, just trying to control as much as anything, you know, <clears throat> keeping deer out, you know, is keeping deer in, you know, I mean, yeah. if you're trying to grow really big deer, you can't have, you know, every deer from five miles around coming in and, you know, falling on top of your food plot. And hogs, your, your hogs too. Yeah. Keep the hogs, hogs out, you yeah. know? I mean, there's, I know a guy that, yeah. uh, I was talking to the other day that said, um, he, he was telling me about a thousand acres he had to sell and he was like, I just couldn't afford to fence it. And I was kind of confused. He, you know, he's talking about high fence and, uh, he said that he had, a, <clears throat> he had people coming in, driving four wheelers you know, across his property at night. Um, and essentially kid was driving real fast, hit a hog waller, flipped his, his, uh, four wheeler, broke his, I mean, broke his collarbone and part of his back and stuff. And they sued him and won, you know? Wow. Yeah. So he had to sell the property, you know? And, uh, so it was just kind of. I guess there's there's all kinds of applications when it comes to high fencing, you know, <laughs> the, the uh, yeah. problems of land ownership. But uh, what about, yeah, so we talked no. about the fence stuff some, what about, um, you know, hunting over bait? I know that, you know, it's not something that's legal in Iowa, and I'm sure you've done a lot of hunting that's not, but, you know, how did you feel about that? Did you have any moral um, struggles, or did you see that, you know, the similarities between that and food, and, you know, micro food plots and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean that. I've heard that argument before, and <clears throat> excuse me, that one doesn't hold any water. Uh, and we can talk about that if you want to get into it. But um, you know, bait is different from a, a small food plot, uh, and, and infinitely different. But I had no problem hunting over bait. I don't care. I mean, if it's legal, you know, and it's, I like shooting stuff, you know. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not saying that it's my choice of, of style of hunting, you know, but. I've hunted bears over bait and I never was like, Oh, I need to spot and stalk these bears or I need to sit <laughs> yeah. on their trails, you know, <laughs> just said, Hey, that's, that's how we do it. You know? Yeah. So, uh, no, I, I went in Rome do as the Romans do, you know, so <laughs> yeah. I was, I was satisfied to, you know, to shoot the deer over bait. I had no problem with it, but most of the places that I hunt, uh, the deer are easy enough to kill without baiting them. And, uh, I feel like the challenge is just, better and more interesting to me. So even states like Kansas and Michigan, uh, where baiting was legal when I hunted those states, I never hunted with bait because I felt like the deer were easy enough to kill without doing that. Texas is a little bit different. I mean, it's, 
when you get that that habitat that's just unbroken for miles and it's you know like homogeneous and it's like where are the deer they can be almost anywhere you know <laughs> yeah. sort of like you know so you got to do something whether you whether you create you know some kind of <clears throat> excuse me small food plots you know to bust things up to give them some structure in their movement or you got to do something in order to create structure that they have to adapt to so that you can predict where they're going to be right yeah. um, if you can't do any of those things then a pile of corn is you know it's your next best bet it helps um, <laughs> yeah it helps for sure. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so i mean i i totally get it but uh yeah most places you don't need to hunt over bait to kill whitetails yeah um, and, and i think you're better off not hunting over bait most places even where it's legal mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know we could get into that too but yeah i think you know jumping back on the food plot thing real quick um, you know, pouring out corn is very localized. It's a pile of corn and you cannot grow a food plot small enough just to concentrate the deer that much. Like, you know, you just can't do it because they would eat it, you know, during the summer, you know, you wouldn't have enough there or, or even, you know, if it's that small of a spot, the tree roots and the tree shade or whatever is going to remove any any opportunity for it to grow so you're to be realistically growing a food plot it has to be at least a half an acre in my mind maybe even as much as an acre Uh, otherwise there's probably not going to be anything left there by the time the hunting season comes so if it's an acre in size and you know that's that's 100 yards by 42 yards basically something like that um you know you you can't cover that with a bow from one spot uh those deer are gonna they're still going to be moving through there you still have to hunt them you still have to figure out you know, how they're moving through, you know, set your stands accordingly. Um, it's easier than, than if it was just open woods. Mm. Um, but it's not the same as pouring out a pile of corn and, and people that think it is are wrong. It's just not. Um, well, if you have because, deer that are the size of jackalopes, <laughs> they don't, they don't eat quite yeah. as much and, and they're also yeah. not as plentiful. So I guess down here in Texas, yeah. you know, that, uh, those micro food plots can hold up a lot better probably than they can. And I still even hit them. You know, that's the weird thing, but it's <clears> oh, yeah. a whole other podcast, I guess. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point, Bill, for sure. And just like Bill said, when you come to Texas or you live in Texas, you need a bunch of arrows because there's a bunch of targets. And what you need to do is go check out the Vector Custom Shop two-pack of arrows to test, okay? It's kind of a mouthful, but they, I don't remember what they call it. It's like a test pack or something. Uh, Tyler calls them testies, but um, they uh, will send you a two-pack of arrows of two different arrow weights and focs for you to test out before you make that big commitment of half dozen or dozen to see which one flies the best out of your bow it's an awesome deal an awesome setup and i've really enjoyed shooting these at the target so far this fall can't wait to put one through a big old piggy pretty soon um you know one thing i wanted to to talk about we didn't really uh uh give you a heads up on this one but you killed a buck in iowa in, in 1999 and um you, you talk about how the strongest memory of the buck was uh kind of the weather pattern surrounding that deer is november 18th i think is when you shot him um the the day was a 75 degree day and the reason i kind of want to talk about this was because this year at least for us and i think other parts of the u.s as well um i mean it was <clears throat> the month of november was outrageously hot i mean we had southeast yeah. winds um uh, in 80 degrees and in you know just under most of the month it seemed like and i was hunting a very big deer on my property and i, I ended up killing him on the, on the 30th of november um 
and so you know i got to hunt the, the whole month in all those wet those weather <laughs> patterns you know and uh just sweating and you know moving stands and breaking out in a sweat and having to try to go get a shower if i could and you know all that um maybe talk a little bit about what you learned uh in regards to that buck and and um just hunting abnormally warm weather i guess yeah it's really tough it's it's you know, any time of the season, uh, early in the season, they're a little bit more used to it. So it's not as big of a detriment that you got to figure that they've got enough clothes on that they could lay on top of, of, of a pile of snow and not melt into the snow. You know, mm-hmm. so they're dressed with their, all their warm winter clothes. And, you know, what if you put on all the winter clothes that you have and then started running around on an 80 degree day, you know, how much energy are you going to have? You know, so they aren't adapted to, especially in the Midwest, they aren't adapted to heat, you know, once they get into the season a ways uh, because of that winter coat. So they just don't move during the day. Uh, it's, and, and they won't hardly move in the evenings either. The only chance you've really got is in the morning. In my experience, you've got maybe an hour, you know, before they bed up for the day because they have to breed still, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like the rut's going to come and go and, and they just aren't going to get the breeding done. They're just going to do it all when it's cooler at night. And uh, that spills over a little bit into the morning until the day starts to warm up. So, you know, there's no really good place to hunt, maybe on water in the afternoon, right in the last little bit of the legal shooting time. But it just is bad. I mean, even in last season here in Iowa, I mean, the, the rut in November, the traditional part of the rut was really bad. I mean, nobody was killing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, October was really good, and then, you know, the latter part of November started to pick back up again. But, you know, that core, you know, three-week period where it seems like everybody takes their vacation, it was really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a fun time to, you know, be out sitting in your backyard and, you know, having cookouts and stuff like that. But it wasn't a a typical, you know, 25 degrees in the morning, 40 degrees during the day, you know, November in the Midwest. Right. Uh, And 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 everybody paid for it. I mean, the hunting was bad. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was, it was tough for us too. Um, can you real quickly just touch on the shot? Um, cause I have, I have dealt with the same situation and it being a close shot and maybe not focusing really yeah. well. Yeah. I think that happens maybe because you take it for granted when the deer is say under 25 yards or maybe even under 20, you know, depending upon where you do most of your practicing, you look at it like a gimme. And mm-hmm. you still need to pick out that hair that you want to hit. You can't just shoot them in the front part of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it gets real tempting just to pull down and say, well, this one's done, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. rather than, you know, saying, okay, I, I still have to hit this hair uh, because I want to make sure that, you know, I get through both lungs. And that's part of the problem too, with that closer shot, if you're in a tree, you know, you don't have quite as much access to the vitals as what you've got when the deer is further away. So mm-hmm. believe it or not, you have to be a slightly more precise in uh you know the angle that you take because otherwise you run the risk of getting just one lung you know when they're close like that so um yeah i think that's it's tempting and and uh you know i I made a mistake on that one i just didn't focus well enough but it's tempting on those short shots just to take them for granted oh yeah Uh, i've done it i think it's good it's good for everybody to realize that the closer they get sometimes the shot angle gets even harder so you got to be even better at you know, picking your spot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I actually did that, th- that this year. I uh, <laughs> was hunting out of a saddle, so I was a little bit lower in the tree just because of the type of tree it was too. But uh, same deal. I just, you know, grunted in a buck and got all excited and, you know, just aimed where 
you normally do, you know, bottom third line or whatever. And he was at, I don't know, 15 yards or something like that. I don't remember. He's close. And, uh, you know, ends up, uh, he just hit the near side lung, you know, about center punch it, but then completely missed the offside lung just because of the angle and end up, you know, hitting arteries and recovered the buck the next morning and everything was fine. But uh, if you can just avoid those 12 hours of anxiety of not knowing what's going on, it makes, it makes the <laughs> yeah. heart a lot better, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, so much better when they just run over and tip over. Oh, and, oh yeah. yes. Yeah, you way better. climb down and walk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I do think that, you know, the – yeah – we touched on it. Those shorter shots are harder than people think for that reason. And also you start looking at penetration issues, you know, cause if the deer is too close then you're trying to shoot down through that heavy tissue, you know, on the top of their back and you might only get, you know, limited penetration there. Mm-hmm. So some of those shots, you're better off just letting the deer get out a little ways and uh, taking a quartering, a sharply quartering away shot where you can get, you know, liver in one long or, you know, best case scenario, you know, liver in two lungs or two lungs, you know, as they work their, their get away from your tree stand rather than just taking them when they're that close. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, for sure. I think anything under about 10 yards gets to be a little bit hairy uh, as far as picking where you aim. And of course, it depends on how high up in the tree you are, but let's say you're 18 feet up, you know, anything under 10 yards is, that's a pretty tough shot as mm-hmm. far as your kill zone. Mm-hmm. You don't have a very big kill zone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's tough, man. Um, okay, so let's let's move on here to, uh, you know, the, the famous G5 buck, 2011. <laughs> this is uh, just an incredible buck. Talk about why you named him G5 buck and then and then kind of uh, recap that story for us because this, this is an awesome deal. Well, when he was three years old, and I thought he was four, uh, that, that was an interesting deer because even in the Midwest you'll have a lot of different – uh, body sizes on the deer. Everybody thinks they're all big. They're not all big bodied. Some of them are really big bodied. Some of them are pretty small bodied. Um, and I thought he was a three-year-old when he was a two. He was about a 130-inch two-year-old, big bodied deer. We saw him all over the farm as a two-year-old. So the next year when he was three, uh, I thought he was four, and I started hunting him because I was trying to kill four-year-olds at that time. Well, he had a, I think he had five on his left side and six on his right. He had a like a G5 that kind of hooked in almost like a crab claw. So we just called him the G5 buck. You know, I didn't have a lot of creative names for the deer. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, anyway, he uh, he got away from us, thank goodness, uh, in 2010 when he was three, and I thought he was four. And then in uh, 11, then, of course, I thought he was five, but he was only four. You know, gigantic body deer, big antler deer. I mean, there was a deer with the genetics there that, you know, I believe if he could have got away from me in 2011, uh, he would have been a pretty interesting candidate in 12. Mm-hmm. I think he would have made another really big jump because he jumped, uh, let's say he went from 130 as a two-year-old to pushing 170 as a three-year-old to pushing 190 as a four-year-old. You know, they don't all continue on that same trajectory. Some deer flatten out. But let's just say that, you know, he put on another 10 inches, you know, which isn't unreasonable. You know, he could have been a 200 inch deer as a five year old. Sure. Um, and there aren't very many of those. Everybody thinks, Oh, you know, Midwest, there's 200 inch deer everywhere. There's really not. Um, yep. There really aren't very many that ever get that big, but he had the potential to get there. But, uh, I, I don't know if I'd have, if I'd have known he was four, I don't know if I'd have let him go even then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but I did think he was five, but I don't know that I could have let him go. Had yeah. I known he was four. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, 
probably doesn't make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so what, what did he end up scoring? What's that? What did uh, he... Oh, we, I never, I never did officially score him or put any real tape to him, but, um, I think we just guessed him right around 190. Yeah. I mean, you can pull up and measure a couple points and go, Oh, those are 12 inch points. So oh, he's got a bunch of those. Well, he's, you know, he's probably, you know, 190. And, and, you know, that's just kind of my philosophy on deers. Um, I don't have any problem with people officially scoring deer, mm-hmm. but I just don't like to do it myself because I like the memory of the hunt. Some of yeah. these bucks I shot don't score that well, mm-hmm. you know, and somebody and like, no, I just killed the 135. Well, that isn't, come anywhere close to describing what that deer was sure um you know he might have been six or seven years old a buck that's been on the farm forever a deer that you you know even maybe even tried to kill over the years couldn't get him and then you finally get him and you're like super pumped you shouldn't turn that memory into a number right in, in my opinion well um, because that number ends so, up being smaller than you think it is a lot of the time you know and that can yeah that can leave a bad taste in your mouth where as if you didn't know that number and you just tell your buddies, oh, he went 150-ish, you know, then it's a yeah. 150 for your whole life, and you feel good about it, and nobody thinks any different, even though he was a 147, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and and really, who cares, you know, at the end yeah. of the day. So, the I, I mean, I can get entering a deer. Um, you know, I've never done it, and, and I probably never will. You know, if I ever maybe kill the world record deer, you know, which is probably a pretty long shot. But, you know, I think you, you, you owe it to the hunting community to score those are um, you are you, you know, tracking I, a world record right now that's what I, that's what i'm no. feeling right now <laughs> <laughs> i know i'm not tracking anything okay. right now i mean i know i know where there's some really good young deer sure. from last year yeah i don't know where there's any really good you know mature deer uh, but <laughs> no no it's uh that's just my philosophy on it so you know some of these i got really rough scores uh, once in a while we'll actually score the sheds you know yeah. on some of these bucks just for fun you know it's kind of cool to be in the 80 inch club or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, so, so, uh, scoring the sheds can be, it's different because you don't have the memory of the hunt. Then. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So we'll talk about the, the, uh, actual, you know, moments before you shot this buck <laughs> and what happened. Cause it's incredible. Yeah. It was pretty chaotic really. And, and, um, so there was a deer that I was after and I've been hunting this deer actually since he was four, in uh, 2009 so he was six in 2011 and it was a buck that we nicknamed the g4 buck you know obviously these aren't very uh like i said you know they aren't very uh creative names but that deer was he was a legitimate over 200 inch deer um it was pretty obvious looking at him that you know he didn't have to put a tape on this deer Mm -hmm. but uh he you know i've been hunting him for gosh three years and and almost never saw him, maybe saw him twice during that time. And during the 2010 season, I hunted him 50 some days and never saw him. And I'm like, you know, literally I'm not exaggerating. It just kind of ruined deer hunting in some ways, you know, to be hunting one deer day after day after day, never seeing him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a few trail camera pictures of him, you know, so when 2011 came around and I started getting some pictures of him, trail camera pictures, I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I even want to go after him. You know, even though he's gigantic, because I don't want to go through another season like that. You know, I'm just hunting a ghost, right. just completely nocturnal deer. Well, as it turned out in 2011, when he hit age six, he was very daylight active. Um, but he just, I don't know, it's, it's a weird thing. I think that this other buck, this G5 buck was the dominant deer. I mean, it was pretty clear because mm-hmm. even that day when I finally saw the big 200 plus inch deer, 
he was following a doe toward my stand. This G5 buck, big bodied four year old, you know, came running in there and, and basically fought him off and chased him away from the doe. Mm-hmm. Well, ran him off. And then we were, Greg and I were sitting there in the tree going, wow, you know, we almost killed that giant deer that we've been after all these years. Well, then the, the this, you know, 190 type buck, the G5 deer, we, we called him, he come grunting, crashing through the brush back right to the base of the tree, basically trying to find that doe. Because while they were fighting and he was running that bigger deer off, the doe just moseyed right up to the tree and then out, out into the field. Mm-hmm. Well, the winter, you know, the winter came back to find the, the hot doe. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of sitting there licking our wounds and feel sorry for ourselves. And then we hear this grunting and he's crashing through the brush coming right to the tree. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was pretty, you know, it was quite a, quite an afternoon for sure. So I mean, awesome. 200, 200 plus inch deer coming in, you know, 40 yards, under 40 yards, just, you know, wasn't quite there yet. And then, you know, 190 inch deer comes and runs him off and then comes back to, to claim the doe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's not like there were deer like that all over the place. I mean, they were the two biggest deer that I knew of in that whole part of the, the county. Right. You know, I mean, there were they were just both there underneath my tree, is uh, that, which was pretty crazy. Is that due to um, the things you had in place on your farm, do you think? I mean, I know some of that's chance, right? You know, but like, I yeah. mean, is that, like, why did you have the two biggest deer in the county probably, you know, on your property? Well, 2011... That was right before we got that big round of EHD that came through, and mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, um, unbelievable on on my farm at that time. I feel like it could have been the best deer hunting, you know, open, you know, fair chase deer hunting in the, in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was eleven bucks on the farm that year on a thousand acres of land, roughly that would have gone one seventy or bigger. Oh man. And some of them were way some of them were way bigger than one seventy. <laughs> I mean and and uh you know we killed several of them. I mean I think that that year we killed like a one sixty, a one seventy, a one eighty, a one ninety, and then you know, I had that that two hundred that that uh gave me the slip. Mm-hmm. Um that ended up killing the next year. I think it was a culmination of a few things. You know, we'd had a pretty aggressive uh series of, of doe killing on the farm for quite a while. We had an overpopulation and uh, the DNR really wanted us to bring the numbers down because the local farmers were complaining quite a bit. So my whole neighborhood, I would say my neighborhood, let's say three or four properties, you know, mine and two or three others, uh, went on to a pretty aggressive doe killing campaign. And we flipped the buck to doe ratio on these properties so that we had quite a few more bucks than does. And as a result of that, you know, we had, <clears throat> we had probably a more intense, shorter rut, you know, potentially, you know, less stressful to the bucks because it was over with so quick. And, uh, you know, coinciding with that, I also had a number of pretty good years of, of uh, ag production on the farm. We had some good rains. You know, we had some of my food plots were really good, lots of food. I had done some really aggressive timber stand improvement on the property, so there was tons of browse, real thick cover. You know, so, you know, I feel like that benefits in two ways. One is there's a lot of food there, you know, in the browse for the deer. So they don't have to come into the open fields. And they don't have to hammer those crops. Um, so there's lots of food, you know, throughout the whole year for them. And then uh, also, you know, bucks being dominant the way that they are, I don't think they like to see other mature bucks. You know, so yeah. the thicker the, the property is, I feel like you can hold a higher density of these you know, completely fully mature, you know, dominant style, you know, bucks. 
without them conflicting all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because they're only going to conflict if they're ranging into each other. And, and the ranges tend to compress the thicker the, the habitat gets. Mm-hmm. And also they're not sitting, you know, that bedded on one ridge looking across at the, the other ridge and seeing that other buck and getting mad. And then when they get out of their bed at the afternoon, they go over there to run him off. You know, I just feel like you can compress the ranges. You can hold more of these really older age class bucks if you got thick habitat. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, I think it was a culmination of all of those factors, but it was unbelievable really uh, yeah. in 2011. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it looked amazing for sure. <laughs> well, let's go back yeah. to something that it pains me to say is over 20 years ago, uh, <laughs> it's amazing that the year 2000 is 21 years ago, but that's the world we live in. Uh, you killed a whitetail in Colorado, which is not known for how thick it is, at least in the eastern part, which is, I'm, I'm assuming, where you killed this deer. But uh, it's kind of a interesting story behind how you ended up shooting a whitetail on this trip, right? Yeah, that was a really cool hunt. Uh, I don't know if you have enough time in your podcast to even talk about what we did there, but that was <laughs> maybe the coolest hunt that I've ever been a part of, <clears throat> of, wow. of what we did and, and how we tried to kill that deer. Uh, it was, it was actually sort of like, um, you know, like a science project almost, you know, how we went about trying to get him. But anyway, obviously I was out there mule deer hunting and, uh, we saw this buck and we only saw him head on in the, one evening in the headlights when we were driving out of there, you know, from a mule deer hunt, it was just a, an open ranch, you know, with a Creek running through it. And I can't remember the name of the Creek right now. I remember the name of the ranch, but I'm not going to say, Good. Good idea. <laughs> but I can't remember the name of the Creek. But, uh, anyway, uh, they, uh, we were driving out of there and we saw him in the headlights and he was just head on and he wasn't real wide, but he was real tall and we didn't see the profile view. And we thought, yeah, you know, he's a one sixties white tail. He's pretty nice looking deer. You know, maybe we should come back tomorrow and give him a try. Um, so, I was supposed to fly out. It was right before Christmas and I was, I was trying to change my flight so I could go home early. So, you know, the hunting had been okay, but not great. And it was like, Hey, I'm going to go home and spend time with my family. And, and, uh, you know, but I couldn't get my flight changed because that close to the holidays, I just couldn't pull it off. So I, I had to, you know, I had two more days left. So the next day we went back to that same ranch mid, let's see, how do we do that? Uh, I think I went in, I went in, in the dark first thing in the morning and, uh, how did we do that? Uh, I'll have to think that one through. But anyway, <laughs> he was living on a bend. He was living on a bend in the creek. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I did that afternoon. The next afternoon, I went across the bend and uh, I, I went in and put my tree stand up. And, and we expected the deer to go out that way, you know, towards some winter wheat fields in that direction. And I was, I hadn't picked a tree yet. And, uh, I saw him, I saw a doe saw me and ran off. He didn't see me. He was chasing that doe. <clears throat> so he was following her and they went deeper into the bend in the opposite direction of that winter wheat field. So I thought there's no point in me uh, putting this tree stand up if they're not going to come this way because that doe isn't going to come this direction after seeing me. So I came back out again and Dan Ardry was, was guiding me at the time. And I said, Dan, uh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to go to the other side and I want you, he had to like change the brakes on his truck or something. He had some mechanical <laughs> work he had to do. So I said, why don't you go over there where, you know, towards that winter wheat field on that side and bang around on your truck, you know, and, 
Now, those deer are used to ranchers making noise, right? Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily going to walk right up to the rancher, but they're 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 not going to leave the county just because there's somebody over there banging on their truck and slamming <laughs> doors and stuff. Yep. So I said, at least that way, we guarantee that he's probably coming my direction when he leaves this this bend of the of the creek. So I went on the other side, put a tree stand up on the other side of the bend, and then, uh, you know, Dan, <clears throat> to his credit, he saw the deer come out feeding out into a grass field on my side but not making the whole bend all the way around so he made a big loop just walking like a rancher you know up on the hillside just kind of walking along you know maybe 150 yards away from the deer the deer saw dan and uh they all came running straight in my direction there was probably four or five of them a couple bucks and and some does and the the funniest thing, I mean, you know, the hunting hinges on sometimes just, you know, ridiculous luck. Well, <laughs> yeah. when, when I'd climbed into the tree, I was wearing a baseball cap, but I had like a warmer hat because it was late December, you know, so it was pretty cold out there in the Eastern Plains. And I had this warmer hat, kind of like a stocking hat, and I set it on a branch and, and I thought, well, when it starts getting cold, you know, I'll put the stocking cap over, stocking cap over the top of my baseball hat. Well, the wind kicked up and blew my hat off and it fell to the ground at the base of the tree. Well, this buck was running when, when he saw Dan and, and, you know, he kind of bumped my way. He was running at it, not a gallop, you know, not a full sprint, but just kind of trotting along at a way faster pace than you could shoot right straight at my tree. Literally, he was going to pass within two feet of the tree, but there wasn't going to be any shot, even if, you know, even if I could have stopped him because he was going to go on the backside of the tree right in, in the lane because I threw it up, you know, in just a few minutes that day. Well, anyway, he saw the hat <clears throat> and he froze and he spun and, and started heading out in front of the tree where I had the shooting lane. Well, right during that little two second period or second and a half period or whatever, you know, I was already at full draw. He hits the brakes, seeing that hat and turns Well, he opened up a shot for me. <laughs> so I, I killed him, at, you know, right. I was probably only 12 feet up in the tree. He was just underneath me. You know, and you hear people talk about, you know, time standing still. I saw every single vertebrae on his back. <laughs> I saw every single hair. No, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's like the weirdest thing. I saw every single hair. And when I shot, I saw the hairs part and the arrow go in. Wow. That's, and I've never had an experience like that before in any kind of sport or any other activity where time literally slowed way down. That's cool. Um, it, was, it was weird. Yeah. Then, he, then he went tearing off again, you know, like at full speed. But for about a two second or a second and a half period, it was just complete slow motion. And uh, so then, you know, it was, I wasn't 100% sure of the hit. I mean, I knew that it was it was fatal. I just didn't know how fatal. And I didn't want to push that deer because by then I realized he was really big. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, you know, 180 plus type of deer. And and because uh, uh, I'd seen him, of course, out in the field and, and, studied him then. And, and, uh, so we didn't want to, you know, go barging in there and, and, you know, make a mess of it. And there's tons of coyotes out there. So we just decided that we would stay there all night long. I think we ran into town and got some Popeye's chicken or something, you know, and came back and, and just held a, a, you know, surveillance, kept the truck running, you know, a couple of people sitting in the truck, staying warm. And then we'd rotate. Somebody would stand outside and it was below zero that night. It was like five below, and somebody would just stand out and listen. Well, it was about midnight, uh, 1.30 in the morning, somewhere in that time, we heard the coyotes kick up Mm-mm. in the direction where he had gone. Mm-mm. So we just drove as close as we could and ran over there and chased the coyotes off him and uh, pulled him out. So it was, man. You know, cool. if we would have just left him, 
if we had just left him, they would have completely cleaned him yeah. uh, by morning. Yeah, I've seen so it happen. The whole deer out. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's kind of a cool. I mean, the whole story was pretty cool. But anyway, the, the thing about that deer, uh, he was an old, old deer. I mean, they you know they'd known about him kind of over the years. But if uh, if he would have had, if he would have matched up his six point side, he was a six point six by five. If he would have matched up his six six point side, he would have been the Colorado state record for archery. Uh, typical. That's wow. how that's how good of a deer that was. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a cool cool story. As far as like how we actually got the deer, I mean, so many things had to fall into place, and uh, you, know, you come out with a 190 inch whitetail when you're going out there on a mule deer hunt. That's, that's, that's insane, cool. man. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what? I mean, uh, it's a really really late time of year, and I know that uh, you know you have a very systematic way of looking at rut activity and stuff in the state of Iowa. Did you see that those lines blurred a little bit in Colorado or were those deer strictly on like a bed to feed type pattern? I think, I don't know for sure. I don't feel like he was rutting with that doe for some reason he was chasing her though. So mm-hmm. maybe she was coming in You know, maybe she was a late, maybe she was a late estrus deer. But uh, when they came out into the field later, into that grass excuse me they there wasn't any kind of chasing or any kind of anything that looked like rut activity so um it was kind of strange but either way i knew he hadn't seen me just by the way he was acting he was following her Mm -hmm. um so i felt like we had a chance still even though you know i busted the dough Mm -hmm. um it was quite a the way that it the way that it fell together uh i'll never have another deer hunt like that one where all the pieces you know, I had to click so perfectly in order for it to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an awesome story, man. <laughs> I'm sure you've written plenty of articles on it, but it's, it never, yeah. uh, it never gets old because that's, that's cool. Yeah. That's kind of something people dream about too. You know, like the whole, there's a, I don't know, there's a mystique behind being able to hunt whitetails and mule deers at, at the same time, you mm-hmm. know? So it's, yeah. uh, it's pretty cool. And you can do it. You can do it out in that country, Colorado, uh, even, uh, Western Kansas, has got really good crossover. I think Nebraska has got some really good crossover, um, you know, places where you can hunt both. I'm sure there's even spots in, in Texas, aren't there? Like way out in West Texas. Yeah. Uh, there's pretty good crossover. The access <laughs> and availability of those hunts are real, real low, you yeah. know? So lots the, of big ranches and big money out there. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some people that get a chance to do it, but just, uh, it's, it's not really something that we even have put thought into you because you know it's just going to cost you a lot of money or just have to know, know the, the right, right folks guy. that's right <laughs> gotta know a jack Bradingham, you <laughs> know right. <laughs> yeah yeah um cool no, man right. uh well that, that kind of brings us to the pinnacle here which is or at least for us you know you may have a different opinion of this but the g4 buck um you know this is a buck that you <clears> mentioned uh just a second ago was this deer the same age as the g5 buck when whenever they were both he alive, a, he was two years older. Okay, um, so the the excuse me, the G five buck the year I killed him was four. That same year, two thousand eleven, the G four buck, uh, for lack of better names, was a six year old deer, and uh, it was interesting to see the, the personalities of different bucks. You know, everybody mm-hmm. wants to stereotype the bucks into certain you know types of behavior it really does come down to the individual deer. Some of them are aggressive and some of them are homebodies. Some of them are roamers. Some of them are daylight active. Some of them, you know, are, are almost strictly nocturnal. They all kind of have their own 
behavior. And uh, it becomes more and more pronounced the older that they get. But uh, the, the, so after the G5 buck was killed, after I killed him in uh, 11, then that the, the G4 was everywhere in daylight. I mean, you could not have found an easier deer on the farm to locate on any given day. He was, you just go back there on that ridge, you know, and he was going to be out there for usually the first year to come out. You know, so Greg and I were laughing. I was like, you know, we're going in here tonight with a better than 50% chance of seeing a 200 plus inch deer. <laughs> Every time we hunted that deer, you know, after that, it was better than 50% chance of seeing him. Oh, my you know, so it was more as the time went on, it was more about, you know, not being stupid and, and bumping him. And, you know, it was more, there was really not a ticking clock because he had a really small range, you know, towards the end, even in 12, when I killed him, I don't think he lived in much more than about 30 to 40 acres. And he was very daylight active, you know, mm-hmm. so killing that deer, you know, was more about not screwing up than it was about doing the right things. It was like, it was more about not doing the wrong things um, <laughs> because, you know, it was just inevitable as visible as he was and as small as his range was that we were going to run into him. Uh, I just, and I screwed up a number of times on him. He just never figured out that it was a person, you know, for whatever reason, you know, he was, he, he, he just never figured out that there was a person hunting him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was kind of weird, you know, to hunt him that many years and not have him realize that he was even being hunted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was pretty cool. He's a, he's a giant so, for sure, man. It's, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So I was going to say, I think that was maybe the one thing about that. Everybody, you know, I was really lucky to have a deer like that to hunt, mm-hmm. but you know, I think that the only place where the skill really came in was hunting him back carefully for that long without losing my patience and, you know, making the dive mm-hmm. yeah. and, and messing it up. And you killed him um, pretty early. I so mean, just, November 2nd, right? That's a little, you know, isn't the seventh is your favorite day, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was, but that was the, that was the second year of, of hunting him. It's true. Like yeah. once the G5 was dead in, in 11, that deer was all over the place. So I was hunting him, you know, all during the late season in 11 and, and, you know, screwing up hunts and you know, <laughs> him getting away. And, you know, he, he, and then in 12, uh, I had a couple of encounters with him where he got away. Um, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, I was, I was, I had his number. He just was killable. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. he was, he was there and he had the right behavior and, you know, I, I, I didn't let him know I was hunting him. That was the only thing I did probably that, that deserved that deer in the end. If I did deserve that deer was just the fact that I hunted him carefully enough that he didn't know I was on the, on him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, in, but, that's smart hunting for sure. Do you, yeah. Yeah. I've watched that hunt, I mean, you know, quite a few times because it's just pretty epic. And you kill him. November, the difference in November 2nd and November 10th in the woods is crazy as far as how pretty it is. You know, things are still green on the 2nd and a lot of times. And I can, if I'm thinking right, there's footage of this deer. He comes out, kind of checks a scrape and crosses a fence or something like that, and you, you shoot yep. him in the field. Um, that shot yep. looks like a pretty long shot. Was that was it pretty out, far out there? It was about, it was about 50. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Uh, you know, he was feeding comfortably and mm-hmm. I did aim low. Um, the only thing that, you know, watching it back a few times, you know, he did take a step while the arrow was in the air, you know, that, you know, we could get into the topic of what is the maximum range that we should be shooting at whitetails. And, yeah. you know, my opinion has really gone full circle on that. It <laughs> used to be, 
you know, if you can hold a, you know, four inch group at 60 yards, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. it really doesn't have anything to do with how good you are in, in, in the backyard. It really has to do with whether or not the animal is going to move. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and it's really, really hard to know. Gosh, sure. I hate yeah. giving people advice now no, because, it, you know, it used to be easy to say, oh, you got to do X, Y, Z. Well, every situation is so different. Mm-hmm. You got to read the animal, um, you know, because it's not about how purely accurate you are. It's about whether he's still going to be there when the arrow gets there. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, I shot at yeah. a deer in in South Dakota, hitting the shoulder this year, and didn't recover. He's he lived, but uh, he, um, you know, was at twenty yards, but he's full on looking at me you know, off the ground, you know. And it's just uh, I aimed low, and just almost like you couldn't aim low enough on this deer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas. You know, the yeah. deer I shot in Kansas this year, he didn't even move when the arrow was released. You know, he had no clue I was in the I world. Know you know, it's just so different. And, you know, like what you're talking about with the G4 buck, you know, in the middle of an open pasture feeding as calm as deer can be, you know, you can tell he's just king of the world, you know, scraping on that tree and stuff. He's full confidence at that moment. You know, he's not worried about something sneaking up on him or whatever. So, yeah, it makes perfect right. sense. And you're a you know, yeah, dead I mean, eye bill over here. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I, at that time, I mean, I'm not as good a shot now as I used to be, unfortunately. But during that time, I mean, you know, I was after that deer. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you get up every morning, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to get that shot. I need to be ready for it. So, I, you know, I, I practiced a lot more at longer distances. You know, I used to practice at 70 and 80 yards, you know, just to make a 50-yard shot seem short. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I was way better prepared you know, for that kind of a shot. And now I don't think I would even consider taking a shot that long mm-hmm. You know, right now. I'd have to, I'd have to get myself back to that level of proficiency, but I was a really good shot at that time. Uh, but still, like I said, that your ability to shoot a bow is not the determining factor of, of how far away you can kill a whitetail. It's whether or not the deer is still going to be there, yeah. um, you know, or, or whether the vitals are going to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's kind of my, you know, my long, point on that one but you know it was if he wouldn't have taken that little half step while the arrow was in the air you know i think it would have been perfect into the lungs instead it was back in the liver Mm -hmm. um which is a fatal hit but that deer was so tough uh he was giant giant bodied deer really tough deer you know so it took a while for that to kill him unfortunately Mm -hmm. Uh, and i talked with the game warden about it later you know we went in there greg and i went in there and he was still alive we could hear him breathing Mm -hmm. um you know we got that close to him when we were trailing him and the game warden, you know, I called him up, you know, the next day and said, Dallas, you know, what am I supposed to do? He said, well, just shoot him. And I said, Dallas, I can't do that because now there's two holes in this deer and everybody knows I only shot him once. <laughs> and he said, well, and, and, you know, that was the game warden. And, yeah. and I said, well, you know, I had to let that deer go. You know, I, I could have killed him at midnight with, with my bow, mm-hmm. but instead I had to wait, you know, or, or 10 o'clock or whatever time it was, you know, I had to wait. And I, he said, well, you could have called me and I could have gone in there with you. And I said, yeah, you want me to call you at midnight, <laughs> you know, to drive over to my farm, yeah. you know, to drive over to my farm. And he's like, well, I probably didn't want you to do that either. Come to yeah. think of it. Yeah. Um, well, well, there's no good way. There's no good way in the law, you know, to yeah. shoot a deer after legal shooting time to put him out. Well, that's mm-hmm. part of, that's part <clears throat> of the whole you know, filming your hunts uh, thing that people don't think about is like, you know, that's that's kind of, if the game warden tells you shoot him at midnight just to get it over with, it's an ethical thing to do, but it doesn't matter, you know, what 
you do if you do it on video and it's technically yeah. illegal you're you, you can't win you know what i mean so you could have yeah, done that if no, you hadn't been videoing, maybe, you know. Yeah. And people can yeah, smell fish, too, him. you know. Like, I could have called him, and Dallas would have said, yeah, go shoot him, <clears throat> you know. Then it would have been fine for, you know, for anybody else. Mm-hmm. But in my situation, somebody would have would have made a point of that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, before we move on from the G4 book, we don't talk score a whole lot. I mean, numbers are fun, you know. We, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever – I'm sure you've said, but maybe I just don't remember, but I know you have put a tape to this deer. You know, what does he tape out at? He's, uh, he's 205 gross. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's yeah. what, that's what the sheds were too from the year before. Wow. So he didn't get bigger. See, yeah. from 11 to 12, see, I thought he was maybe going to get a little bit bigger. And if he did, he could have been a potential world record deer, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, if he had cleaned up just a touch, you know, got rid of a couple of abnormal points. Because he was a six by five and eleven that grossed in that same neighborhood. You know, mm-hmm. We did measure the sheds. We had both of them, and uh, you know he he went to uh, I think he was a five by five when I killed him. Uh, more massive, a few more stickers. You know, so the net score would have dropped some, but you know it doesn't really matter. I guess the bottom line is he was he was the same size for two years in a row from mm-hmm. uh, six to seven. Yeah, so you killed and, him at uh, a perfect time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I, I think I've, you know, I've seen some that grow, that keep growing. I killed, not killed, but I've hunted uh, bucks who were eight years old that were still bigger, you know, at eight than they had been at any other time in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one thing that Brittingham told me too, because he said every buck is different. He said we've had some that you know when we kill them at eight, that's their biggest set. Um, so that was uh, kind of interesting about that deer that everyone's different you know and, and some of them you think are going to make a big jump they don't and some of them that you think oh that one's capped out then they live to be a couple of years older and all of a sudden they're 190 inch deer when they were 150 their whole life mm-hmm. um so it's pretty fascinating really yeah it is. <laughs> that's that's something a lot of guys in texas are, are moving to right now as far as like wildlife managers are moving to that seven and a half year old class a lot of them they're they're yeah. not shooting deer yeah. till six and a half and they really want them to get to seven and a half to see you know have they have they capped out, you know, so it's interesting. It's just really hard. It's really hard um, to get them to that age. You know, they're, it doesn't matter even if you're not hunting them hard. They're, they just kill each other. They yeah. leave. They get run over. They die of DHD. I mean, it's. I've had poor success uh, getting bucks to seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just the odd one makes it. Not very many. I'd say super low percentage of, of bucks ever make it to that age. Yeah. Well, let's uh, take a little side trip right there now that you say that. Um, you know, you found, uh, shortly after that, you found Bubba dead in the creek. Uh, yeah. What Did you put a tape on him? He was about the same. He was in that, you know, 205 range as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he was a mainframe eight with uh, a few really big stickers and a lot of small stickers. But... uh See, he was starting to close in. He was an eight-year-old that year, mm-hmm. and wow. he was starting to close in. He had a personality, and that was his biggest rack. That was his by far biggest set of antlers. And I started hunting him when he was a five-year-old. He's about a, I don't know, high 160s eight-pointer. And then by the time he hit eight, um, you know, he was a 205. And <laughs> the, the thing <laughs> about crazy. that deer, he was completely different than, than the G4 buck because he had a really big range. And uh, he was only starting to close up his range as an eight-year-old and becoming a little bit more daylight active. I felt like I could have killed that deer, you know, if EHD wouldn't have got him because mm-hmm. he was finally starting to become killable. Um, yeah. You know, some some bucks, they're, 
you're just like, man, they're on the farm once in a while. And it's like mostly at night. And, you know, you don't even want to hunt them because you know, your chances of killing that deer are so low. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he was starting to be on there really consistently and starting to show some daylight activity. So I felt like he was finally at age eight <laughs> killable. Yeah. Dude, something about those old white points, man, they just got a chip on their shoulder. They're going to run around a whole lot. You know, I don't know. What <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, that kind of brings us full circle to, uh, you know, in a roundabout way to your 2020 season, which I'm assuming uh, was a lot different than the previous 15 or so. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's been, it was probably different. I, I started hunting my own land in 95. Wow. 1995. So, you know, if you throw 25 years, you know, since I had hunted on my own property or not on my own property. Uh, so that was kind of weird, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously I grew up, you know, hunting on permission. So there wasn't anything new from that standpoint, but this is the first time in 25 years that I'd hunted on, you know, somebody else's land, uh, right. which was, and I, I had no problem doing it. You know, obviously, I mean, it's hunting is hunting, uh, but it just had a weird feel to it. You mm-hmm. know I mean? It'd been, you know, you sit in your tree stand and you're always looking out thinking, well, I could, you know, if I would make a little food plot over there, or, you know, <laughs> this tree, I need to cut that tree down, you know, yep. because it's, you know, it's interfering with the growth of that one. You know, you're always thinking deer management or land management really more than anything else. You know, when you're sitting on your tree stands, when you own the land, then when you're sitting on the tree stand and somebody else owns it, you're like, hmm, what should I think about? <laughs> you know, it's, there's, you can't do anything to it. You know, you can't, you can't change it. You can't make it better. Um, so that was the only really notable difference, you know, mm-hmm. in, in how the experience felt. Uh, but it was cool because I got to hunt near where I grew up and, uh, I hadn't been there and hunted that area in a long, long time. So, um, that was a, a you know, meant a lot to me to be back in that area. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So tell us about, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, formulating a plan and trying to, to kill a buck over there. And it was no different than what I was doing on the land that I owned. Uh, by that point, you know, the hunting had become more, um, you know, there's like a rhythm to it. You know, you've got a few steps that you take, and you, you have to learn everything you can during a certain period of time. And then you put those lessons into effect with your tree stand locations. You know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't really hang tree stands very much during the off season anymore. Um, because you just don't know where the deer are going to be. So you let the deer tell you, you know, the, the camera will tell you where certain bucks are living and, and, uh, you know, which ones are killable again, you know, I don't want to hunt bucks that are only showing up in the dark. But this buck was only showing up during the dark. Mm-hmm. But I knew that country well enough to know that the deer bed up on the ridges and then they feed, <clears throat> excuse me, in the valleys or, you know, wherever the, obviously wherever the crop fields are, but they're going to be on those ridges um, during the day. So I just kind of, you know, looked at the trail camera pictures and I could tell which direction the buck was approaching the camera from, from each evening. So I knew probably which ridge he was bedded on. So I focused a lot of my attention there. And, uh, I did kill him in an afternoon hunt, uh, up on the ridge where I figured he was bedding. And, uh, you have to be really careful, obviously, when you're hunting those spots in the afternoons, but it was breezy. So I could get in there without, you know, the deer knowing. And I'd worked out a route, um, <clears throat> excuse me, up the side of the, 
up the side of the ridge, up the, you know, up the slope. And I felt like not very many deer would see me getting in. Uh, the last approach to the stand, I was wore these, uh, it was a product that a guy named Scott Whitlock had, had invented way back in the early nineties called the Limitrax. And it's just a, like a nylon booty. It was more like more than a booty. It's like a, almost like a hip boot, but you can roll it up and carry it in your pack. It's not a, you know, it's not a heavy item like a pair of hip boots would be, but it keeps your scent from getting on the low uh, plants and, and brush that are around the tree stands. So, you know, I put that on once I got within about a hundred yards of the stand and, you know, I did all the stuff that, that, you know, I could to be as careful as possible so that, you know, the deer didn't know I was going in and out of there. And, uh, you know, that would continue to use that area. So I think it was the second or third hunt, uh, up on that ridge stand when he came by and it was early, early in the afternoon. I mean, it was probably two hours before the end of legal shooting time. And he wow. was just kind of moseying along, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't on a mission. Yeah. He was just walking slow, kind of like, you know, totally comfortable. It wasn't like he was even alert specifically, you know, he wasn't acting like he was wary at all. He was just kind of walking along. And I think he was working his way out to the end of the point that he was probably going to bed there again and then drop down into the fields, you know, at night. Uh, that's kind of what I think he was doing. So he just kind of came past me. He was 10 yards away and, and, you know, real easy shot, you know, another one of those that are almost too close, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, it was, there was nothing, you know, s- sensational about that other than, a, you know, the, the one thing I think was notable is I don't know if we could have pulled that one off with two people in that tree. Really? Um, yeah. Because the tree was, not real big tree and uh he was walking straight toward stand um and you know i think you know i had to stand up really slow and get my bow in position really slow i don't know if we'd had a second person in there swinging a camera on an arm you know if we even could have pulled that off mm-hmm. uh, it was it would have been really pretty ticklish yeah um, because deer... i know more than yeah, because I had no more than got stood up and, and the bow in position than I had to shoot. I mean, there wasn't any extra time. I didn't see him until he was about 25 yards away coming toward me. You know, Bill mentioned that two guys would have been tough to get into a tree and not get seen by a deer. We've run into that quite a bit, which, um, you know, even just setting up two guys in a tree sometimes and finding the, the space on the trunk is difficult. But with a saddle, man, it's so much easier. And same deal, even if, if you're a guy that's doing it by himself, you're independently hunting and, you know, by yourself or whatever out in the woods, just getting into the right tree that's on the right trail is so much easier, right? Because you, you have the opportunity to, to use a very small space to put your platform, and then obviously, you know, you tether on and everything. Uh, the saddles have been a game changer for us as far as just getting in the right, you know, getting in the way of big deer. And so uh, this year we have decided we're going to be using the cruiser saddle because it is super, super comfortable. If you guys are interested in saddle hunting and you're looking for a saddle, go check out Cruiser at cruisersaddles.com. So anyway, that that one may be one of those few that the camera would have ruined. Uh, for the most part, I didn't have any issues over the years of, of the camera actually ruining hunts. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about it all the time. You're limited in the way that you can hunt with with a camera. You know, the different trees you can get into, and mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you got to hunt blinds when you know a, a, a tree stand might be more favorable, just because you can't get two guys into a tree in that area without getting picked off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, anyway, that that. Uh, that was probably one where I don't know that I could have got that deer if I'd have had 
you know, somebody with me. Yeah, that's a that's a really big deer too, man. I I was uh, when I saw that picture on Instagram the other day, I was like, holy. I didn't even know about this, you know, <laughs> it's a, that's a big buck, man. Yeah. He was beauty. And, and, uh, he wasn't an old deer either. I don't think, um, you know, I talked to one of the young people in that neighborhood that was hunting him and, and, uh, he, he thought he was five years old and I, I was thinking he was four, you know, just judging from the pictures, but you know, I wasn't going to argue, you know, in a situation like that, it wasn't a real big property and there were multiple people hunting that deer. You know, if I wouldn't have shot him, you know, there's some chance that somebody else would have. And, mm-hmm. you know, not that I'd begrudge him shooting that deer, but, um, you know, it's not like on my farm where I would have even considered letting him go. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't really consider it that much on this one because there's there's just not enough control. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that makes it tough for sure, man. Well, you've been super gracious with your time. I appreciate, man, this is a, this is a um, I don't know if we even informed you of this, but this is a, big episode for us our 200th uh formal episode of the podcast so we appreciate uh you doing this man and and uh, we want to give you the opportunity now to kind of uh send people wherever you want to send them uh in regards to whatever you've got going on now and in the future yeah no thank you congratulations to you guys for for doing it for you know that long that's thank you. that's really cool yep so i don't have anything real formal uh i think little by little i'm going to I'm going to start producing media again. Uh, and, and I'm going to do it a little bit differently than I did with Midwest Whitetail, where it became such a big machine that I got burned out running it. I'm going to do something smaller, but hopefully still useful, educational, entertaining. And uh, it will take place when it occurs on the Bill Winky, various Bill Winky branded platforms. So it'd be like Bill Winky YouTube. There's a channel out there right now that I'm just starting to populate a little bit. And then, the billwinky.com website, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll really ramp that up and get some, you know, some useful content there as time goes on. There's stuff there now, but I'm going to continue to ramp that up. And then I'll hit the Bill Winky, um, Facebook some, you know, with some posts. And then obviously, you know, you've seen me on the Winky bill, which is the Instagram. Um, and, and I think, uh, I'll come up with a good mix of, of media, you know, I grew up writing for the hunting magazines and mm-hmm. I do kind of have a soft spot for writing. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more written content, more photography, you know, kind of a journal of the season. You know, I, I don't want to get away from the updates where I'm telling people kind of what the deer are up to in the areas where I'm hunting. Uh, I want to stick with that more daily style. I just don't want to have it with a cameraman over my shoulder where we have to produce a video every single day. It's <laughs> right. really so much work. It is. Um, it is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So anyway, that's that's kind of what I've got planned. I don't have any sponsors or anything, you know, right now. So there's nothing that I have to do. There's nobody that I have to make happy. Um, so I'm just going to kind of ease my way into it. You know, I don't want to end up, you know, like we said earlier, I don't want to end up neck deep, you know, in, in it again. I'm going to kind of work my way in a little bit more slowly and and uh, you know take it at the level that I'm I'm excited about that I can you know do long term and not something that's going to be you know a burnout after a few years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's awesome, man. We'll 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 link to uh, the website below and and uh, like I said, the go go and follow the Instagram if you're listening. This is a uh, this is a pretty fun deal that you've put out for us to to view, man. I love the stories. I love the 
I mean, because that's like you talked about, you know, the score is, is such a small part of the whole experience, if, if even a part of it at times. And so the story is so much more important, the way things happen and the cool things we get to experience that are created out there for us to look at and, and experience are pretty, pretty awesome. And that's, that's why I hunt personally. So um, yeah, but we're going to link to all that about below. The memories. Yeah, it is. It is, man. And, and also some of the people that you hunt with, man, and, and that create mm-hmm. those memories with you, man, it's such a big part of it. And so, uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you coming on again. You're one of our most tenured guests. We really, uh, have a lot of regard for what you do and what you have done. And, uh, we appreciate your expertise and the things that we can learn from you every time we get you on. So thanks for coming on, Bill. Yeah, it's my pleasure, and, and uh, continued good luck to you guys. Good job, and, and I'll, I'll be paying attention. Thank you. Every time we have Bill on the show, I'm ready to get him on again. I know, he's, man. He's killed a lot of deer, man, and he's just some cool. cool stuff. It's like, you know, when I, when I walk, uh, well, like when we're in Kansas or something, or big deer state, I, you know, I always am like, man, I wonder how many deer, or I wonder the, what the biggest deer is within 10 miles of us, or what, when the, where the biggest, uh, or where the next booner is, you know, mm-hmm. like how close are we? It's like that mystique or whatever is something that Bill has because he's lived in Iowa in the heart of like the best deer country in the world on one of the best properties in the world. I mean, you heard him talk about like he had, you know, what, probably were the two biggest deer in the county on his property at one point you know mm, that's that's, a, that's something that like brings some mystique there's you know? a lot of big deer in that county too <laughs> yeah. you know golly yeah. it's so cool to think about man and and uh just like it's one of those things like as a deer hunter that you just kind of dream about you know it's kind of the same concept as like most of us are in the little leagues of deer hunting if you're in the little leagues of baseball you're thinking about like man it'd be cool to win the world series or <laughs> you know football like man one day i want to win the super bowl you know i wonder what that feels like you know yeah well i know that uh Bill is probably not done by any means, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how he uh, probably I wouldn't say reinvents himself because um, it's not like he's starting from square one. Mm-hmm. Like Bill is, he's the kind of guy who is always working on the next thing mm-hmm. way in advance, which I wish I could be more like. So maybe that's why <laughs> I need to listen to Bill more, yeah. you know. But um, he's going to do some cool things, and I'm looking forward to, to what that is. Um, yeah, me too, man. Guys, thank you all for listening. Um, I know this episode's a little bit long. I had a baby noise in there some, <laughs> but it's real life. We're not going to do that to you too much. But uh, Bill needed to do these in the mornings, and I just don't have a babysitter um, in the mornings. So uh, that's the, the way it goes. But I appreciate your patience, and I appreciate you listening because he has a lot of good stuff to say. And thank you so much. If you're stuck around, if you remember episode one uh, <clears throat> and you're still here, we really Something appreciate wrong it. with you. Yeah, at the same time, if you haven't listened to episode one, don't go back and listen to it. You can probably start around 12 or 15. At things, least. Things got a little bit better, uh, honestly. <laughs> but um, anyways, we really, really appreciate y'all sticking around. Uh, if you haven't yet, be sure and subscribe to the podcast. And on YouTube, follow us on Instagram, all those cool things, yep. because uh, we have got a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe here, and 2021 is set to be probably unless something crazy happens the best season ever Ever, okay so uh y'all be ready for that um and uh yeah things are popping outside it's probably greening up no matter where you're at in the country right now unless you're way up north and it's still cold but um uh anyways i hope that you have heard a few gobbles or you've caught a few fish or something this far in the year i mean golly guys we're almost halfway through the year you caught some fish Uh -uh. yes you have where you caught fish with your dad and whenever y'all oh, went, yeah, sure. uh, we John Bolton. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> maybe that's it. That's it. Yeah. You caught more than me, I think. 
Yeah. Numbers wise, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, my two experiences have been on Lake Fork. Uh, <laughs> I did catch a big old grinnell the other day. Oh, yeah. On a jig. Dang, that's yeah. cool. And I wasn't sight fishing him either. So. State records from Fork, I think. I believe it. It's caught from a guy that stayed at my dad's lodge. You know what the coolest name <clears> for a, uh, like a regional name is for a fish? It's not Sackalay. And I don't know what it is about the Cajuns, but they have cool words, okay? <clears throat> but a grinnell is called a shoe pick. Shoe pig. I've heard pick. it. With a, with a, oh, see, shoe pick. Shoe pick. Yep. I feel like I've heard it. Yep, I've probably. I've heard it. But yep. I definitely uh, don't have a lot of Cajuns hanging around. They call me. them cypress trout, too. Oh, really? Yeah. I bet you can get one on dry fly if you threw it just right. Yeah. Just got to tease them up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, y'all get out there, have some fun. It's a great day to be alive, Ooh. just like Mr. Tritt says. <laughs> and remember, this is your element. Live in it. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory, relentless performance for your firearms. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels it can also generate income in both the near and long term like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across america enough dreaming about it land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space